When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Oscar Bevis, IFL TV, proudly sponsored by Everlast and Bradley joins me down in Brighton, mate. Thanks for giving me some of your time. I'm just fresh off some training. How's things? Yeah, I'm tired. We're up early this morning. Uh, did some training this morning, and then I had to do some pads and some bags afterwards. So my hands are sore, pretty pretty sore because we were doing some big banging on the bags. Uh, I'm sure her Ben's hands are sore as well. He was showing me they're all red, but yeah, feeling good, ready to go. Yeah, freezing. Have you done any road work today? I see Tommy was running on his story earlier. Have you done any of that today? Yeah, so we were in the gym this morning because we weren't sure of how icy it was. Uh, we didn't want to slip out, but I, I don't, I'm not sure. if, if to, I didn't see Tommy this morning, so I'm I'm pretty sure he was out by himself. Um, but the last few weeks have been out in the cold and it's been absolutely freezing. We're up in, we're, we're, we're up in Devil's Dyke uh, last week. And I was nearly sick at the top of the hill. But I think it was because it was so such uh like dry hair uh, air that my lungs just couldn't get a breath in. And I was like <gasps> <gasps> But that's the, like that's what you get when you're at the start of camp, you know what I mean? You're gonna be sick, you're gonna have to be pushed through it. And luckily I've got Ben there to push me through it. Yeah, mate, I was gonna say seeing some of the boys out on the road, uh, on Tommy's story and that I don't envy being a boxer. I'll stick behind the camera and I'll watch everyone else do the hard work. Um, yeah, it's your IFL TV debut. Um, you're six and zero professional, but I know you've got some interesting stuff to talk about going back. Kind of a little bit of a get to know today, so people can, well, yeah, get to know about your story and then follow on from here. Um, so I think the best place to start is perhaps with your first ever boxing memory, be it a fight you watched, someone in your family was boxing. I don't know. What is your first boxing memory? So my first boxing memory was probably when my father came in and asked my older brother did he want to go to a boxing club. Um, now I went everywhere that my brother went. Whatever he wanted to join, I wanted to join. You know, as little brother, big brother, dramas go, I wanted to go everywhere he went. So when he ended up going for a few weeks, I was asking where he was. I was only seven years of age at the time. Um, my brother was around nine or ten. And then 
I think my dad just got fed up and just brought me one day. And uh, that was that. I, I joined a boxing club in the back arse of nowhere called uh, Greencastle Boxing Club. And it was at the top of a hill with clouds rolling over the top of the hill. You know, we were sent out at seven years of age to go run laps around back roads, pitch dark, with grown men who we didn't know. That's how tough it was. Uh, there was no child protection or nothing back then. Um, but no, like, I enjoyed it for a while. And then I was a very sensitive kid. And then when we got in spawn, I was doing well. But when I was doing well, I was getting put in against older guys and heavier guys. And then I started getting punched around. And I didn't like it at all. You know, I remember one day I just said to my dad, like, I was around maybe eight. I would just turned eight, maybe. I said to him, I just looked across the table and I burst out crying and says I don't want to box no more. It's not for me, it's not for me. But we left I left that boxing club anyway and went back to my normal childhood. And then I remember that club that boxing club I closed down. We moved to a different boxing club <clears throat> where my parents were a lot more hands on in the club. And I joined joined back again and I absolutely loved it because there was kids my age, you had the spar kids your age and weight. There was a lot more child protection, you know, it was all, almost like a youth centre. Um, and then when my dad became head coach, that really kind of spearheaded my success in the sport because I really loved it. You know, my family was really involved around, involved around boxing. Um, and then I had my first fight 11, when I was boy one, um, I was 11. And I went 22 fights unbeaten in my first year, won, won my first Irish, Irish title in my first year. Um, so that's, so that's how, how it really, really got uh, started, you know? Yeah. Obviously, quite a lot goes on in that time. You spoke about the change of gyms and the fact your dad was involved. There'll be loads of different factors kind of contribute to this, but can you kind of pinpoint perhaps one time where you thought this is a little bit more than a hobby and perhaps a potential career path? You enjoyed it, of course. But perhaps a time where you thought, yeah, this is something I could perhaps make for myself here. So I think I was, you know, I was thinking like that at a very young age because my dad seen the profit in it from a very young age because it was so good. I'm so advanced at such a young age. You know, um, I remember... Did, did he push you towards that? I mean, obviously, like you was enjoying it, so you wanted to. But was your dad from very early then saying... You can you can do this. This is this is really here for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had sports psychologist at twelve years of age. You know what I mean? Like that's how that's how quick that I was pushed in the in the limelight. You know, see, I would think for a mind that at that time is obviously relatively undeveloped, a sports psychologist like I can't imagine what sort of stuff he was even even being told. But I think it's because, you know, it's probably the reason why I became such a good amateur at a very young age. You know, because it was, I was pushed at that level. And you see it more and more to this day. Maybe more here in England where, you know, you've got more access to things like that. Um, and better facilities. You know, we see 12, 13, 14-year-olds going and getting their VO2 max done. And all these mad experiments to push them out a little bit further. It's fantastic. Is it necessary? Maybe not. Maybe you should just enjoy the sport more for what the sport is. I think that's what I probably would have liked when I was that age because I grew to hate it then towards the end of my teenage years because I'd given everything. And 
I felt like there was nothing else to learn until the term pro. And I felt like I learned nothing in the sport. Um, but no, like even that sports psychology side of things really opened my eyes up and made me aware of what I really wanted in the sport. You know, made me visualize things um, and it made me realize what I wanted in my career. Obviously, so many top amateurs have come out of Ireland over the years. In your eyes, what did it take or what sort of traits did you have that made you such a good amateur? Because obviously everyone's got a kind of different traits and everyone works in different ways, I suppose. But what made you such a good amateur away from just the fact that, of course, you knew how to box? What was it that made you such a good and elite amateur? I couldn't really pinpoint one thing. I mean, I've always been known for my unorthodox style on the back foot. It's weird because I'm I'm totally different. I'm a totally different fighter now as a professional. So I can push going forward. I can box on the back foot. You know, it's it's weird. I only boxed one way as an amateur, and that was on the back foot as a counter puncher. Um, but it's funny because I was a big banger as well. Like you know, I probably ha in my 130 fights as an amateur, I probably stopped about 26 of them. You know, and that's that's not a bad you know percentage rate at an amateur level. Um, especially when I had a lot of my fights at a very young age, you know, I've broken ribs and spawn at 14, 15 years of age, knocking out guys at 16 years of age, you know, things like that, you know, I think, I think probably just my unorthodox style was probably one of the things that really got people frustrated in the ring and I made advantage of that, you know. I know you said you kind of grew to dislike parts of the game because of perhaps the way you were sprung through a, a very young age, but there must have been so many good times when you were representing Ireland as well. I hear some of the stories of some of the boys, like the McCormacks and the likes of that, um, the ones I know well over in England, and uh, mate, the stories they tell you of representing your country, going away, doing what you love, being with your friends. Um, like Even the smile you got thinking about it, mate, they must have just been the best time. Yeah, I don't think... I'm, like There's a lot of the stories that I would not ever say <laughs> to anybody. That's another thing that I was thinking in my head, Jay. You probably can't say too much. Yeah, I mean, I've been away to Russia seven times on training camps, you know, with a lot of the Team G GB guys, Scottish, English, Welsh guys, you know, sharing, sharing rooms with Cubans, you know what I mean? And spawn Shakur Stevenson in hallways, you know, while we've had a few drinks, you know, things like that. And this was the time maybe Shakur Stevenson had um, a cast in his hand. He just slips the cast off and puts on a glove and starts sparring. You know, Shakur Stevenson was injured at that time, but they brought Shakur Stevenson with him, with them for that tournament. For the fact is, he was so good, they can't miss out and have him coming here for the experience and just watching maybe his competition and, you know, when the competition's coming up. It was absolutely crazy, you know, sharing the ring with some massive, massive fighters, going away to Australia. I've been to Australia twice, you know, America countless times, uh, Samoa for the Commonwealth Youth Games. That was absolutely fantastic because beforehand we had a training camp in Canberra in Australia with the Australia, Australian team. Um, I just had countless memories as an amateur, you know, and I don't think... I don't think I would have got that in any other sport, you know, being able to travel and see many things. You know, I remember maybe in 2014, um, I think it was 2014, yeah, we were out in Russia. And I think it was a few weeks before Russia had invaded Ukraine, or invaded Crimea. And I remember seeing loads of military tanks about. And 
something's definitely happened. And where we were was right on the strait in the Crimea. The only way you could get into Crimea from um Russia. And about few and I got home and I told everybody something's definitely happened in Russia. They're getting ready for something. A few weeks later they've invaded Crimea. You know, things like that, you know, seeing things like that as an amateur it was absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's mad. And it's probably true what you say about there not being many, if any, other sports where you would kind of get them experiences, especially the places as well, like Samoa, places like that. Um, you said that was for the Youth Commonwealth Games. You've got a Youth Commonwealth Silver um, and a European Bronze as well with seven national titles. And I can imagine on the way, I know you speak about like sparring Shakur Stevenson and being around these names, you would have picked up some good scalps as an amateur and perhaps guys who've gone on to do things that we're very aware of in the pro scene. Um, yeah, just tell us about their medals and perhaps anyone who was picked up along the way that you shared the ring with and, and managed to beat as well. Yeah, well, look, probably one of the most notable ones, and he's doing fantastic as a professional now, is Dalton Smith. I beat him in the Commonwealth Youth Games semi-final. Now, that was a big matchup for me, you know. It's funny that I'm living in England now, but my manager, my, the coach turned around and says, if you could beat by England, you're not coming back to the camp. You're staying here in Samoa. Um, so you don't really don't like us, do you? At heart? No, but it was the fact is we were we were Northern Ireland as well. Uh, you know, representing the the, the uh, Commonwealth. So he just told us like we can't get beat by England. You know, obviously there's a big rivalry between Northern Ireland and England. So you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. You need to have that rivalry in the game. Um, so I think maybe I was up for the fight more than him, but it was a fantastic fight, close enough. You know, and it was crazy, you know. I thought that was my like that was my gold medal bout, you know, in the semi final. I thought, all right, bang, I've have I have this thing, I have the gold medal in, my, in the bag now. I go on and get beat by Papua New Guinea in the final, and the fact is, because of maybe just thought that that was my gold medal bout, maybe did a relax a little bit and think oh, I'm gonna walk this final. They're seeing a Papua New Guinea guy. The fact is, maybe Dalton underestimated me, and then maybe I underestimated Papua New Guinea. You know, it goes in circles at the end of the day, you need to be switched on at that high level. It's unfortunate that I, I got beaten in a split decision. I did think I won the fight pretty handily. I remember in the first round, he came out swinging, and I was like, Jesus, he's putting a lot of pressure on me here. I, I, but I was catching him on the back foot. And I remember the referee couldn't get away from me quick enough because it was so sharp in the back foot, moving side to side. And I put my foot, and I, I put, stepped back, and my foot landed on the referee's foot, and I slipped. So I got back up again, and looked at the referee, and the referee was giving me a count. I was like, what? Are you serious? And then he, and then he winked at me. And I was like, what? So that kind of threw me off in the first round in terms of, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> Sorry for for cursing, but what the hell is going on here? So anyway, I ended up getting beaten a split decision. You know, it's one of them one of them experiences where you know, you need to grow from it. You know, you had the world at your feet and you let it go. So I'll never let that mistake happen to me again. Yeah, mate, some mad stories. Um, and from looking at the fact you got a Commonwealth Youth Silver and the European Bronze, I mentioned, and that it was obvious that with that success. You were going to turn pro, and it was obviously what you wanted. Um, you're six and zero now. I know there's kind of a lot that goes in in between, but what was kind of the click your fingers moment where you went, "Yeah, I want to turn pro. I want to get paid for this. This is what I'm going to do." Um, 
or was it just was it kind of I've had enough of the amateur scene, or was it I'm I'm, I'm ready I'm ready for this now? Definitely both. Like both. I mean, a lot of people say to me they kind of do just hit a point where they're a little bit sick of the amateur scene. Unless you're getting backed, you know, by funded funds and things like, and you're getting picked for a lot of things, and you're doing not a ass licking as you would say within the the boards. Um, like you're not gonna, it's not, it's not gonna improve your boxing. You're not gonna get anywhere. So why not turn pro and rise up the ranks and fighting bigger shows than the amateurs? You know, I know the Olympics is one of the biggest. You know, for us, the Olympics is fighting on an Eddie Hearn show, or a top rank show, or the Zone or boxer show. It's them big shows with all all your family and all your fans watching the watching the fight. You know, that's your that's the professional Olympics, and we get to do that four or five times a year if we if we make it or if we get signed by a big promoter it's crazy like that's what we want and what I think maybe the point where I thought I was going to turn pro was after when I came out of the McGregor camp um, after being around them for so long being around that massive spectacle and the money that can be evolved around that thing and I'm just thinking I'm as talented you know I can have this, why not me? So that's when it kind of switched. I'm gonna turn pro. This I want this for my life. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that McGregor camp because obviously we see McGregor from the outside and the persona and everything that goes with it and the money, the flashiness and some people like it, some people don't. But at the end of the day, you've got someone who's come from so little and made so much of himself. So I'm not surprised that that was kind of a big factor for yourself. Um, I'd love to know what it's like being around him just as a person. Because like I said, I know we see the on-camera stuff, but uh, yeah, just kind of him behind closed doors and training away and stuff, you must have some, some great memories from, from the camp as well. Yeah, I mean, from the very start of, like, the entire... I was I was with him for a few weeks in, in Dublin, sparring him for kind of trial camp, just to see what I'm like, you know, because he's not going to bring me straight to Vegas. and Crap. So we go for a trial camp there, and I remember I arrived up and... He was like two hours late for spawn, and he rocks up in his BMW i8 with a flurry shirt on, and it was freezing outside. His sunglasses on, a pair of white pants, something out of Miami Vice. But he was a G, like, and uh, there ain't many people who can do that, and no one's gonna say a word, uh, do they? Imagine if, imagine if Ben or Tommy rocked up to the gym wearing one. I'd say Scott might get away with, but maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not Tommy or Ben. But uh, yeah, he just rocks up and he. He doesn't say hello to anybody. He just makes eye contact with me straight away. He knows who I am. He, well, I didn't think he knew who I am, but he knew who I am. Just walks straight across the ring, and he's just making eye contact with me the entire time, walking over. And he just walks right up to me, puts his head in my face, and shakes my hand. He goes, you ready to do some rounds, kid? And he just whips off his glasses and stares at me. And then just turns around and walks upstairs and goes to get ready. So I'm thinking, that was two hours late. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I don't care though because I'm going to get this for him, you know what I mean? So, but we got in there and done fantastic rounds. And I think I impressed him. You know, I think I done nine rounds the first day, and we done. He asked me back again. That was a Wednesday. He asked me back again the Friday for more rounds, and uh, he was very impressed with me. And the second day, he came up to me and goes, "You're coming to Vegas with me, kid? Unbelievable! Going to Vegas for 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 his camp." And then we ended up. Um, I didn't hear from him for me like I think we didn't hear from him for about four weeks. They went off on this mad tour. Like remember the the international tour with Mayweather, and uh, I was like, all right, maybe I'm not going on the camp. Maybe they've got somebody else there. But there was three other sparring partners. I think there was a guy called Louis Adolfi from London. He was an ex 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 boxer. Um, the Deshaun Johnson. He was he was formerly in the UFC. Um, but he had also he had also had something like forty something fights. Fantastic fighter, but just took every fight that he could get. You know, had hadn't the best. Hadn't the most prettiest record, you know what I mean? He had a lot of losses, but like he fought Sergey Dermachenko in the headliner in the Barclays Center for the middleweight world title eliminator. You know things like that. He was a tough, tough guy, and um, like these are the guys that he had in the camp, and he chose me and Deshaun. But obviously, he had Artem Lobov and Franz Malambo there as well as kind of inner camp that he's always had, and um, that traveled over with him. But um, yeah, so I didn't hear from him for a few weeks. And I remember, I think it was middle of summer, and I think we, I was out watching a football match, and my local team was playing. We were watching the TV, and we were just playing uh, pool, and uh, just having a few drinks with my mates on a Sunday or something like that. And I got a phone call from his manager, and it's like, "Can you get on a flight tonight to Vegas?" And I'm thinking, "Not only, not only am I half cut, steaming." You know, I need to get my stuff ready. You know, I need to get cash sorted and get dollars, stuff like that. You know, I need to get all my stuff. I goes maybe tomorrow morning, you know, and then I can just go straight home now, get sorted, and head over there in the morning. So then that's what I did. Headed over there, got into the house, chilled. Polly Malnashi came into the camp, everything like that. It was a massive, massive camp, you know, and something that I'm really grateful to be a part of but I'm ready to you know be a I'm ready to be a like I'm I'm ready to give that opportunity to somebody else to be a part of my camp at, for something as big as that you know what I mean uh, you know to reach that pinnacle in your career is absolutely amazing you know and fair fair fucks them you know I mean give it his all you know against one of the best one of the best I, I think he's the best in the modern era. I followed him growing up. Uh, the reason why I was brought in by Connor was because I emulated his style. My shoulder roll, I had pinned down to a tee. And my shoulder roll right hand, and I was slippy. I had an unorthodox style, it was very hard to pin down. 
I'll catch you from anywhere. Feet work is fantastic as well. So that's you know that's that's what that's why he brought me into the camp, you know, and that's why I'm ready to stay. He's done fantastic, and I'm ready really. To, he made history, and I'm ready to really I'm ready to kick on and make my own history. Yeah. Man, it must have been brilliant being in Vegas. I know you said about the places. <clears throat> pardon me, you have been. Vegas is obviously the modern home of of fighting. Um, not just that, you mentioned Paulie Malinaji. Was you in camp for this infamous Paulie Malinaji spa? Yeah, I don't know if I've... Are you sworn to secrecy? I'm not sworn to secrecy. <laughs> i done Paulie's corner. Really? For that spa. And, like, Paulie came into camp out of shape. He knew he was out of shape. He was fully retired. Mom was drinking. We were heading out at night. We were going for a party in the city during camp. Like he, he wasn't in his right mind to go twelve rounds with McGregor. It was a training full full time full time athlete. Probably even a bigger guy than Polly. So the fact is that he that he jumped in there and even done the rounds was absolutely fantastic. But I don't think it done him any good. You know, with what's happened, what's happened. You know, at the end of the day, if that video ever came out, I don't think Polly would be shown lately or shown in a good light. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have shown it how good his career would have been, and what skills he always had. I've much respect for Polly Malnagy. You know, still to this day, even though he called me an amateur bum on one podcast because he came out and says that. You know, Connor did fuck him up. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. But like, I much and still have much. He's a fantastic pundit, fantastic pundit, and he says it how it is. You know, and it's just sad that we got caught up in this entire thing and really took away the fact that Polly really did want to try and help Connor. But I don't think Connor wanted to help. Wanted him to help him. Connor wanted to pummel him. You know, and it's a. I think maybe if Polly would have got in a little bit better shape. He could have given Connor a better spar, but I don't think. With how old Polly is now, like I don't know how old he is, or how has he been in the gym? I know my mate Artem beat him in a bare knuckle. And Artem's Artem's tough, tough as hell. You know what I mean? Tough as hell. Um, but like a, a world champion boxer should be, you know, beaten. Uh, a UFC guy in a bare knuckle fight, you know, especially a guy like Paulie Paul, Paul Malnagy, where you're a counter puncher, you you box in the back foot, you see a UFC guy's punches coming from him right away. You should be beating a guy like that, and he didn't. So, just begs that, begs, just the question is, does he have the ability to do it anymore? You know what I mean? I know he's been begging for that fight, but I don't know. It's hard to really know. Just picking this back up. Um. Yeah, Tin, and honestly, a lot more talking points than I imagine there would be some really interesting stuff. Um, a kind of all them experiences that have got you to where you are today, a professional 6-0, and you turned over in a point where, because of COVID, opportunities were so limited unless you were signed and you were on behind closed door shows, you ventured out, seek your own opportunities and had your fights abroad. I think you were telling me it was debut in Poland, two in Belgium, Spain. Um, yeah, so you kind of went out and got those opportunities and um, yeah, you've had six successful fights so far. 
Yeah, look, the thing is with COVID, like, I only really got back into boxing during COVID. Like, it was crazy, you know. I didn't like who I was for about two years. I'd went off and done me, after the McGregor camp again, I went off and done my own thing. Um, I wanted to turn pro and I moved to New York for a bit and I trained over there, but I couldn't really kick it going. So I was just like, maybe that now is time for a little break, maybe a little downtime just to get my head right, but it never got my head right, it made my head worse. I think any boxer that gradually moves away from boxing would agree the fact that your mental health declines once you get out, once you step away from boxing, and I didn't realize that. Um, but I really kind of got back into training after I got back, or after COVID, or during COVID, sorry. Um, I'd already started training before COVID a little bit. I'd moved down to Dublin. Um, and I'd training down there. And I was up at 16 stone. You know, I was very, very big. You know, I, like, I fight at 10 stone too now. You know, it's, like, it's six stone difference, you know. But, like, within a year, you know, I'd went from 16 stone to... Yeah, 10 stone 5 that I had made by the end of the year. And I, I remember looking back at myself at the end of the year and I think it was just like a comparison between two bodies. And I remember sitting beside my girlfriend and I wrote out a little paragraph for myself, throw up on my social media. And uh, I nearly burst out in tears because I was thinking, what an amazing journey that I've overcome, you know, from... The lowest of the low to the highest of the high, and then at that again in my first year I was, I was, like it was three you know, you know three and zero as a as a fighter, and I got to really kick on then. What well, is crazy? Like how you, you could just flip it around again and push on, um, but no, like I'm, like I got, I moved over here now. I spent four years in Dublin. Um, moved over here to Brighton there a few weeks ago, and uh, I'm really loving it over here with Ben and Scott. Um, obviously, I need to get settled in. I've got a few promoters on my back that that want to sign me. Um, and I think the fact that it's a new challenge for myself, you know, living in a different country, will test test me, but. At the end of the day, with the experiences that I've had, I know what to look out for and I know what to expect. And I really think that I can really kick on. I suppose, from your perspective, you must feel like, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but those six fights, you were fighting people that, you know, in your head, your level's above. They're kind of your settling into the pro fights, learning different things, being away as well, um, and kind of different environments, etc., and now you're talking about potentially getting signed. That bit of your career's done. 2023 and beyond will be kind of the real stuff, the meaty stuff. Get the promoter on board, get the backing. And um, yeah, from here and years on is where you're going to start flying and achieving what you want to and what you know you can achieve. Absolutely. I think 2023 <clears throat> will be the making of me. Um, hopefully we can get a backing of the motor. We get that platform on TV. Really get myself out there. You know, like I've been fighting on pay-per-view links all over Europe. Now the fact is like when I post it up on my pay per view social links, you know, I get 
hundreds of years, you know, just on that one pay-per-view length to watch my fight. You know, imagine what it's going to be like whenever I get on a proper platform. Um, I think I can really increase my stock in a very short period of time once I step on that platform. I have a lot of things to offer. Um, I can knock guys out and I can put on a show. Chatting to Prince Nazim Jr. or Prince Nazim Hamas, right? Last week at um, the session after. I was. Then Friday night, Friday night before, where I was out for food with Scott and the WBC and Jim Lennon Jr. and Prince Nazim. And I remember I, st- I walked up to Prince Nazim, and now Prince Nazim is one of my all all time favorites. I was I was born in nineteen ninety seven, and for him nineteen ninety seven was a fantastic year. Um, and the same year that I was born, my father bought a dog, a barter dog, and he named it Naz. And I told him that, and he was like, "Ah oh, man, no way, can't believe that." And he was just talking away as Naz does, you know, making jokes. And he turned around and he says, "You know, I've I've never actually, you know, seen anybody." That's able to been able to fill my boots, you know. That was ever better than me. He said, "That's just me, me being honest. Maybe that's just me being ignorant." But fact is, I've never seen anybody that been able to fill my boots. But he was telling the table, and I was just kind of standing beside him. So I tapped Naz on the shoulder. I looked at him. He goes, "Naz, you wouldn't mind taking off your shoes." I said, "Why?" He goes, "What? Why?" I go, "So I can fill them." I just burst out laughing. He goes, I love you, man. I love you. It was crazy, you know. Man, I was shaking even saying that. You know, he's one of my favorite ever fighters. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely, I, I loved, like, I loved even spending the whole night with him. Um, it was absolutely fantastic, you know, and just asking him for some tips. Um, For a man like that, even we spoke, uh, you've seen Teofimo Lopez talk about how you know, I want to bring some Prince Nazim Hamid, you know, entertainment into the business. You know, I don't know if anybody could ever do that. <laughs> I mean, that was just, that man was one of his own. Some people can, you know, try to emulate that, but you can't. You can't emulate that. You have to bring it out in yourself. You know, sometimes when the people try to do that, it looks forced. You have to do what, what's you at the end of the day. And whatever entertainment you must bring, it must be original. And that's where what I'm I'm trying to bring. Yeah. Talking about promoters, um, you know what we like on IFL. We kind of like to try and dig things out of people. Um, I know, perhaps it's something you don't want to be too vocal about. You will have options. You will have preferences in your mind. Um, in fact, I will ask you: Have you got a preference that you're kind of very open to saying this is a promoter or someone I would like to work with be it now be it along the line someone you would be very keen to work with in the sport no I mean at the end of the day like um, all the prom- like there's some promotions in the UK are absolutely fantastic you know you've got Frank Warren you've got um, Eddie Heron now you've got Ben Shalom coming in with boxing um, Wasserman's there in Channel 5 you've got Hennessy there as well you know the fact is all of them are great p- platforms, fantastic platforms, and whoever I may go with will be great, you know, and I will excel that platform. Um, 
but no, like I spoke to Eddie last week, you know, regarding the Katie Taylor fight in Croke Park. You know, he says it's very, very close. Also spoke to him about, I want on that show. You know, what can you do for me? And he goes, look, everybody wants on that show. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I goes, look, I'll fight anybody. I says, just get me on that show. You know, I played, we called GAA football growing up. And they're kind of like, National final would be in Coke Park. Now, Coke Park's one of the third biggest stadium in the world or in Europe. So, I says, I my dream is always to play football and, and get like park and Coke Park, but never got that chance. So, why not box in Coke Park? You know, something like that. But look, if I do same with somebody else, maybe that won't happen, you know. Um, or even like if I stay promotionless. And wait for that fight. I mightn't even get on that show. So I may as well just kick on, try and sign with somebody that is going to excel my platform this year. Because I want to. I want at least three fights before even May or June happen. You know, I want to. I want to be like camp after camp after camp after camp. I want to be eleven zero by the end of end of the year, kicking on ten rounders, getting getting them titles. You know, pushing for Europeans. You know, maybe even the lost deal belt. You know, because I, I can fight for a long time, but I'm from Northern Ireland. Well, the north of Ireland, I'm sorry. You know, these are the things that we've all been talking about it. And, you know, the route that we want to go down. Um, but look, once we get ch- once we get chatting to our promoter, whoever it is, I think <coughs> I think then we'll we'll make out a route. But there's many different options we can explore. Yeah. Just one final thing. Um, where does this journey end? I got a feeling I know exactly where you're gonna say um, with multiple belts around your waist and on your shoulder. Multiple belts and a fuckload of cash. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.